Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today, Sarah and I are joined by a very special guest, LT. LT, do you want to give a quick intro for yourself and also for people to just know your voice? I mean, there's three female voices. It'll be good to, uh, for our listeners to be able to suss out who is who. Yeah, so this is LT, and I am a mother, a working a working mom, a wife, an author, and uh, someone who just loves uh, people and uh, bringing people together, unifying. Awesome. So we are really excited to dive into this episode and to review this film today with LT. Um, it's a film that's that she loves, that's really close to her heart, and it's all too relevant in the current Black Lives Matter movement and just the state of our country and the protests and the really the national conversation that's happening right now. So today we are reviewing the 2019 film Just Mercy, and we're so excited that LT is with us to talk about this one today. So Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Per usual? Yes, I do. Yep. <clears throat> Yes, I do. <laughs> World-renowned civil rights defense attorney Brian Stevenson works to free a wrongly condem- condemned death row prisoner. All right. So um, this film I, I hadn't seen before um, us choosing to talk about it today. So there, I, I mean, my list of notes is like through the roof on this one. There's so much to unpack and talk about. Um, let's start off with kind of just all of our initial thoughts of this film. What stood out to us? Um, what did we really take away from this film? Um, we'll start there. Awesome. Um, I'll jump in. I remember that when the movie first came out, I had some friends that said, Hey, uh, LT, you should, um, go see Just Mercy. And, um, I, I didn't at the, at, I didn't re- remember, that this was a book that I actually had owned Mm. about, I want to say six years ago. So I'm, I'm looking up the movie, I'm looking at the trailer and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this story sounds really familiar. Why do I, where do I know this from? Mm. But I also, at the same time, the real reason I was looking at the movie trailer, because I wanted to know the ending before I went to see it. Honestly, I didn't know if I could really Mm -hmm. stomach Mm. how the would end if it didn't end on a positive note. Um, I didn't know if I could encourage others to watch the movie um, or, you know, really, or my family, if it didn't end on positive, just because of, you know, the, the background, the uh, the history of our country and just the history of watching movies where there is injustice um, specifically towards the black race and how many of them end. And unfortunately they end with, you know, their true, their, their, their true stories and they don't end on a positive note. Right. So knowing all what was going on in our country and leading up to this, I just didn't know if I could stomach how it ended. And so I finally had to te- uh, text a friend and I said, how does it end? I, I don't think, and I don't like to, I don't like to know movie lines mm-hmm. or stories before I watch a movie. I, I like to be surprised. I love the element of surprise, but I, I couldn't handle it not ending positively. So I finally got one friend. Most of my friends at that point said, you just need to go see it. And so I finally had one tell me how it ended. So I knew how it ended before I saw it. So I'll, I'll leave it there because I'm sure there'll be much more opportunity to share some other stuff. Cool. Sarah, what about you? 
So this is one of those movies where uh, I remember when I first saw the trailer, I was sitting in the theater back when we could still go to theaters. <laughs> and I, I was like rolling my eyes in the audience because I thought that this was going to be another one of those that it, it seems like it's going to talk about you know, racism and the, the, the failings of our criminal justice system. And, you know, it, it seemed like maybe it was one of those that it kind of talks about it, but is then like whitewashed to make it more commercially, I don't know, palatable. Mm -hmm. So it, it was one of those that I saw and I was like, oh my God, we need another one of these like true stories. That's not going to like really, expose the the corruptions and the the issues in our society mm -hmm. um and then i remember lt you you texted me about this movie mm -hmm. and when when i saw that i was like oh wait maybe there's something to this movie then <laughs> um because if you're recommending it and you're encouraging people to see it then there must be something there mm -hmm. um but i still didn't ever see it until we, we decided to record this. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this movie and a lot that I think that I, I still need to process through about this. Mm -hmm. um, typically, like, based on a true story, movies mm -hmm. are not what I enjoy. Um, I think that there are far too many of them. But this one, I think, is much better than many of those. Um, but I, I left this experience, this movie thinking like I was just completely depressed after it was over, mm -hmm. which I know is not the intended outcome of this film. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I felt just so overwhelmed with how broken our system is and how many people are being hurt mm -hmm. and feeling this like powerlessness to solve it and so like I'm still I'm still like processing through all of those things but I was also just really impressed that a film could conjure so much emotion and um, make make a person like me a, a white woman who lives states away really invested in this topic and it made it personal for me in a way that a lot of like based on a true story movies don't do. So there, there's a lot to unpack in this, I think. And it's probably one that I'm still going to be processing in the coming like days and weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's so much to unpack in this film, and there's a lot of interesting decisions the film makes for what to lean into and what not to, and how they've portrayed um, different moments and characters that we can get into when we get into the spoiler section. But I thought was a much more um, balanced approach to what could easily be the Hollywood gloss on one story to make to make the public feel better about an issue that is still so rampant in our country. You know, like this, this film I think is a, is a, a strange combination of this glimmer of hope for this one story, but also you then think about at scale, all of the other people that are still stuck in prisons that 
have committed nothing wrong and have no way to represent themselves in our legal system. And then, you know, your brain just starts kind of like thinking about this as a scale issue while watching the story of these few um, people go through this experience. Um, I, I was, there are some gut wrenching moments in this film that I was, I was impressed that the film had the audacity to, to give us and to have us, uh, reckon with, which I think is a, something that is kind of bubbling up in the conversations today that, um, a lot of the racial injustices and issues are often, um, hidden from so many people that they just don't grapple with them on a day-to-day basis and the light needs to be shed on them and um, people are beginning to educate themselves and dig into like the the unfairness that's in the way that our housing markets work and how neighborhoods are formed and um, the ability that black the black community has for get, getting housing loans and bank loans. Like there's so much systemic injustices that are kind of buried just below the surface that I think we're starting as a country to begin to unpack, but I've been there for decades. And um, I think this film is one of those moments where people can just come up close and personal and sit with these stories and these people um, that these systems are affecting in in really, really, I mean, deeply problematic ways. Um, So Lots to unpack, and uh, I'm excited to dive in. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll just add that um, I, when I was reading the book, my sister who lived in New York sent me this book six years ago, and there's a reason I forgot, because six years ago I wasn't in a place to really engage in this space for my own heart's sake. And so I read half the book. And I stopped reading it because in the book, he's not just telling the story of this particular um, Mm. client. He's telling the stories of multiple clients. And if I recall, I believe he's telling the story of this particular client, maybe from beginning to end while he, but then while he chimes in and shares, you know, the story of other clients at the same time. And up to the point where I stopped reading is there was never a, a good outcome for almost every client up to that point. And I just couldn't handle how mm-hmm. I thought and felt the book would end. So mm-hmm. that's why six years later when, or, you know, yeah, cause I don't watch the movie till 2020, you know, six years later when I'm looking at this trailer, I'm thinking this, this movie sounds really familiar, but why don't I know it? Because I don't know the end. I didn't read the end of the book. And I actually had forgotten my sister even sent me the book until I go watch the movie and I, and I think to myself, I know this story from somewhere, I promise you. And so I go through all of my books and I have, um, I have a ton of books from you know, the last, I don't know, 15 years I've read. And I'm just pulling books out of the cracks of the corner of my, of, of my shelves. And I find this book, Just Mercy. And my sister has signed in the year 2014 and says, I really encourage you to dive in and read this book. Mm-hmm. And I fall to my knees. Oh my goodness. I couldn't handle this. I couldn't handle this at that time. Um, and, and this is why I know the story, but I also remember the other reason I could not handle reading the book is that it was still happening in early nineties. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I think mm-hmm. the story is that it started in late 80s, but, be, you know, the, the court case and such was early 90s. And I'm imagining what I was doing in the early 90s. And I could not imagine that this case, this man's life, and, and many other men's and women's lives were still being handled the way we would just assume someone's life um, was um, handled in the 60s. I think many of us, and even people of color who are not from the South, because most of my life I lived in the Pacific Northwest. And so it is a different culture and atmosphere than it is for people of color who live in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast is more progressive in the way of um, how people are treated and such. And so um, I was shocked to my core. And that was another reason I just I had a hard time reading it is because I couldn't believe, no, this is not just something from the 50s or 60s of what my grandparents, my dad tells me. This is something while I was a teenager, you know, and while I was having these and, um, you know, so, um, yeah, so much to unpack for sure. I think one of the things that I love that the film did that I easily could have uh, kind of just get, didn't spend the time and give attention to is the the multiple people that were in on death row that didn't belong there and had had mm-hmm. had not committed um, the murders that they were being charged for or that had pre pre existing mental health challenges from being a veteran that. Um, weren't factored in and they weren't given legal representation. And I loved that the film was willing to give enough time to those other people that I I think it helped paint a more balanced picture versus just focusing on this um, one success story of, you know, this one lawyer being able to fight the um, injustices in the legal system for this one man. Like it helped us as viewers think about all of the other men that are not part of that one glimmer of hope success story, but really all of the others that are already gone or are still facing those charges and are unable to represent themselves. Um, just the, the time spent in, in giving us those moments of the characters and especially herbs, herbs storyline was gut wrenching and, the dedication that the film had to, to go there, I think is, is, is important for people that aren't grappling with these um, issues and aren't aware of them to, to see and to experience and to sit through that um, as kind of a wake-up wake call. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved Herb's story. Like, as, as tragic as it was, like, I think that that character helped make this film um, more real, mm-hmm. you know, and in a lot of the based on a true story uh, movies, it's all centered around this one person who is somehow an exception to the rule, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we were welcomed into those other stories, it felt like, oh, hey, like, pay attention to this, this this is important for you to to wake up to instead of just I don't know. There's this one anomaly in in the system, and I I loved that they took that time with her and made him a full three dimensional character. You knew 
so much about him, even from that first interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he was such a compelling character. I wanted, I wanted to spend more time with him than I wanted to spend with Johnny D. Honestly, I <laughs> as good a performance as Jamie Fox gave, mm-hmm. I was far more invested in Herb than mm-hmm. any other character in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was definitely a high level of compassion for someone who, like you said, um, you know that had mental issues or PTSD or whatever he, you know, was, was experiencing. Um, and just to see this, you know, the system completely fail him was, mm-hmm. yeah, only gut wrenching and so much compassion for sure. And, and like you said, just the different, um, uh, you know, the different men who were in jail and whether they were actually guilty of something or something petty or something minor or not guilty at all, or, suffered from, you know, I think those all were probably uh, uh, different um, displays of the clients that, you know, that Brian Stevenson had and had seen that were, you know, on death row. And so they did a great job of displaying, you know, the different different backgrounds for sure. Yeah, even um, a character that we didn't get as much time with, I think his name's Mr. Hinton, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, But it was one of the other, one of the three men that the film focused a little bit more on. And the, those real life uh, video footages of him finally achieving justice and getting to be released, but 30 years of his life that was robbed. Um, I mean, that was, was powerful. And it's, it's, it really moves you as the viewer to, um, to think about how, our system could do such a thing. And, and especially the rate, I think it was like one in one in 10 or one in nine um, folks that are on death row are almost wrongly accused of being there. Right. Like that is, that is a extremely high rate. Like our, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? False positives, false negatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's an unacceptable rate. And so, I think you, we, well, the media um, and the news tends to focus on numbers and statistics. And I mean, it's kind of also their job to think about things at scale and um, how they affect people groups. But when you see those personal stories, I think that's what connects us as viewers and what will move us far more than just numbers is to see the scale of a problem, but also to see the personal story and how that's affecting a man who. I mean, it really has had 30 years of his life robbed and he will, he will never be the same after those 30 years. It's I love that. Yeah. I I love that, Jen. What you just said is so important for, for us right now in society, because it's, you know, it's easy for us. Everyone can be a statistic, you know, even as we listen to the statistics on the news today of those who get sick, but Mm. until you know someone personally who's lost their job um, you know, lost their spouse, lost their child, um, suffering from cancer, um, you know, wrongly accused, it, it doesn't bother you. I mean, the statistics, like you say, oh, okay, the statistics, um, they, it's just a number, really, right? We go, our own, we go on with our lives, and we're thankful it's not us. And But then when we stop and we connect with our story, that's where the compassion comes in, right? That's where the connection comes in. And then it moves you further to say, 
what can I do? Right. It's just mm-hmm. not, well, that's a good story. And then move on. I mean, it moves you to a place of true compassion of what, what can I do to make sure people who are wrongly accused aren't, you know, placed in prison or, you know, whatever else we see on the news, right? That when we have only we're moved by a place of compassion, and that doesn't happen unless you connect with people's stories. And that's what we don't have time to do today is we don't take time to understand someone's story. We're just very easy to quickly, um, we're easy to quick to move to a statistic or the data shows or because I'm not aware of it. I don't, I don't know anyone or I've never seen anyone or I've never experienced it. So it must not be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to take the time to understand people's stories for sure. There's a moment where Brie Larson's character is sitting with Brian Stevenson and I think they're like sitting by a lake or some body of water. Um, and she, she says to him, like most lawyers, that I've worked with always try and maintain that distance from their clients, but you genuinely care. And I think that is a powerful testament to how the, the human connection can move us to fight longer and harder and endure more when we can see and have a personal connection to who we're fighting for on the other side. Um, Like I think if he had maintained that distance or like kept his guard up, he may not have been, willing to endure as much and the threats and um, fight with the same grit and tenacity that I'm sure he he had to go through and just say like, yes, this is worth it because I know the families and the people on the other side of this. Yes, that was so powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was struck by the fact that this whole movie to me was kind of rooted in our, our need for connection and our need for community. Um, mm-hmm. Like we even see that um, with the, the inmates on death row, they're, they're all isolated in their own little cells, but they're, they're talking to each other and they're encouraging each other. And, you know, Johnny D is calming Herb down They're They're playing music for each other. Like mm-hmm. they found so much community together. And then we see, we see, Brian, you know, reaching out to Johnny D's family and and their tight knit, um, how how tight knit they were, and it it was just this reinforcing idea that um, incarceration affects more than just the individual, but it affects the entire family. It affects the entire mm-hmm. community, yeah. and it's so easy for us, especially here in America, like we're very individualistic, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We as human beings are are hardwired for community, and I think sometimes we we forget that and we miss that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No, I love that for sure. I think with the connection too, um, that I love that. You know, like the turning points in the movie and were came from two two very important times that that I remember. I mean, there was multiple very important moments, but. When he connected with the inmate, um, was it Ralph Myers? Mm-hmm. Ralph didn't want to come clean when Brian Stevenson said, you know, made the connection about children. Tell me about your kids, your family. Mm-hmm. And to remind him that, you know, JD had children, right? And so that connection, that bridge, that compassion, then, um, compelled Ralph Myers to then speak up for him. But then it also 
again, that same thing happened with the prosecutor, right? Mm -hmm. When he finally broke, finally, um, you know, came to, I would say, is when there was compassion and, um, oh, you know, the opening of the eyes, it really came through understanding and putting himself in, in his shoes, right? It was like putting yourself in, in that person's shoes versus being individualistic and, you know, not worrying about someone who doesn't live, you know, in your house or your shoes. I love when he said to the prosecutor and prosecutor said, I'm trying to protect the people in this town. And he said, what people are they? What people mm -hmm. are they? Right? Like, is that your people or my people or our people? And, and like you said, Sarah, it affects everyone, right? It's not that it affects just the inmates. The inmates' families are then affected, but then so is then the community is affected, right? Everyone is affected, not just those who were imprisoned. Every everyone, in essence, I think Martin Luther King said it. I mean, it's where everyone is affected until you know we do something about this. Yeah, there is that. Um, I think it was the final court scene where I think Brian Stevenson's character says, "Like this, this is no longer just about Johnny D. This is no longer about one man, but." Mm. This is about the entire community of everyone standing in the back and the cameras like panning over mm -hmm. all of the black men and women and families and children. They like, mm -hmm. And his point was like they now live with fear that their system will not protect them. Right. And so it's he, he's kind of forcing everyone to think about this at of, of the way that this affects a community of people beyond just one individual. Yes. Because it's almost as if he he feels that <laughs> the one man like wasn't enough for them. Like in theory, like caring about mm. this one man's life and his his justice should be enough. Um, but it's kind of interesting that he he almost had to get people to think about this at a larger scale and how this affects so many other lives, and yes. for that breath to move people. When I mean, it, really, the one man's life should have been enough for them. Absolutely. To your point around human to human connection being a powerful motivator for people to step into compassion and to step into empathy, it was really interesting the way that the court scene with Myers giving his testimony happened because he, I think, was first asked the question. He said, I don't know. And as do we need viewer. to do a spoiler alert? Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> true. Okay, so if you haven't seen Just Mercy, pause the episode, stop here. <laughs> Go see it now. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so now we're in spoiler season. Anything's free, 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 <laughs> free yeah. to talk about. Um. So Myers is giving his testimony. He says, I don't know. And as a viewer, I'm like, oh, come on, dude. Like, please. Like, this is the moment where we're either going to be able to make progress or we're now five steps behind again. And right. what was really interesting is that Brian Stevenson's character steps in front of um, his view of the sheriff and the prosecutors. And also he, he asks Myers to look into Johnny D's eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's that moment that I'm part of it's the Hollywood gloss and I get in like Hollywood dramatizing things. But I do think that there is 
something to say about looking someone in the eye and connecting with them as a human that moves you to realize that you are not so different from them and that they have your actions are affecting them in in out in large and huge ways on their life and I think that's the moment where Myers then begins to cooperate and he's like full force like I saw nothing like I that was all a lie I made it all up um but I thought that was a really interesting I think sub point potentially that the film's trying to make which is the the power of human connection and human bonds um being able to at least heal some of us or begin to heal us I agree seeing people right? I think that's the power is that we need to see people. And it's easy to not see people when we make them a statistic. Um, we don't look, we don't look, we don't open our eyes. Um, we have to see people in order to see their story, in order to see their obstacles or what they're in the injustices or, um, you know, their struggles, we have to see them. And if we're not willing to see them, then there is, there won't be a connection. There won't be compassion. There won't be any, we don't feel obligated to help someone we don't see. And so what's interesting is I read that scene maybe a little bit differently, like, or what Ooh. I took from it was a okay. little bit different. Um, <laughs> I love when that happens. <laughs> which it happens often. Yes. But I... I saw Brian's move almost as like a, like a form of protection and yeah. his protection or, you know, his, his willingness to, to step in front of this threat for this man allowed him to then be who he truly was. You know, he, he was no longer being influenced by this like malicious force but he was then freed to be who he truly was at his core. And then that allowed him to essentially try to set somebody else free. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So the absence of fear, mm -hmm. like him being able to take away that fear from him allowed him to, to be able to do what, what he believes is morally correct for himself mm -hmm. versus fear kind of just like, swaying his emotions and making him irrational interesting yeah it's powerful yeah either way that scene was incredible yes so. yeah. <laughs> it was a great courtroom moment absolutely i'm curious what you guys thought about the way the film portrayed myers and him as a character i didn't like him <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, like I said, there is, you know, being a person of color watching these type of movies, you already have to really protect your emotions. Um, you, 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 it's, it's easy to fall into a trap of anger, frustration, unforgiveness, uh, maybe even pride, um, which probably goes hand in hand with all many of those. Um, and so you know, you, you already, it's already a white versus black film, you know, and the tensions are high and the emotions are high. And if you've experienced racism, if you've seen it, if your family is, has been subjected, sub, uh, you know, subjugated to it, 
then you already go in with, um, you're just very prickly. Mm. And so, you know, seeing this man who had the, in essence, power to help an innocent man, specifically a black man who was um, innocent and he didn't initially just made my skin crawl. Um, and then, you know, of course the film, you know, did a, I, you know, did a really good job of making him appear to be just kind of like, you know, sorry for the bad word, but just like, just like a slum bag, right. Just like, yeah. just bottom of the barrel, just, you know, um, and so you, you know, it's not, it's easy just to maybe even look down on him as just like, even to his contribution to society. Right. Yeah. But then I will say moving past that. Um, I actually thought it was very interesting to show um, someone who was white, who was maybe in the same shoes as someone black. They both were in jail and maybe looked down upon from society, one because of their race and one because of maybe their financial situation or their class, right? And so how um, it doesn't always matter the color of your skin right of how society of how maybe the privileged look down at the non-privileged mm. right so I, I did see some parallel there as well which I think the film shows right so um but yeah I think most of the film you at least for a person of color I think you really have a lot of anger and maybe even hate towards a character like Myers but then so but then you move to probably a, a place of sympathy for him because that really was his lifestyle probably of just you know who can give me the best deal to get what i need a quick fix of whatever i need at this very moment and so he too was really subject to that system also unfortunately you know he too was being used and abused by that system um which then Put, you know, moved you to a place of sympathy, which makes you glad that he finally maybe saw that himself and, you know, helped JD be set free so he was no longer being abused by the system. But I, I definitely, by the end of the film, was moved to a place of sympathy. Um, I don't, and probably got to empathy, maybe. I don't know if I got all the way to empathy <laughs> for him. So that's just, um, I think, you know, from someone who has seen multiple, um, you know, movies where you see the injustice of a black man and you're already very sensitive, your guard is up and you just, you know, you know, already have had, you're, you're trying to continually heal a broken heart watching a film like this. So, um, that, that's my perspective. Sarah, what about you? I was really, um, I was impressed by Tim Blake Nelson's performance. Um, you know, when we first see Myers, I was a little bit surprised that he had been cast in that role. Um, and I was like, okay, so there's going to be more to this character than we think if he is playing Myers. And I, I was really, uh, it was really interesting to go on that journey 
of, of learning more about Myers. Cause you know, when we first see him, you're like, Oh my gosh, this guy, he's such a jerk. We don't like him. He hates Johnny D. He accused him falsely. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just livid at this man. Like how could he do something so unjust? And then, you know, over the course of the movie, then we do hear his story and we hear about his trauma and we hear about his own, you know, mental health issues. And, and we hear about how the, the corrupt sheriff, you know, essentially manipulated him and like played on his own trauma to get him to do something that he didn't want to do. And, you know, while he's still a complete scumbag and is 100% a criminal, um, you're like, I, I felt similarly to you, LT, like I kind of like softened to him at the end. Um, but by no means was he a good guy. Um, but I just, I appreciated that nuance of this Mm -hmm. character. You know, it's so easy to, to just like paint people, you know, you're either good or you're bad. You're, you know, it's black or white. There's Mm -hmm. nothing in between. And Mm -hmm. this movie really is shades of gray because people are complicated and stories are complicated and, rarely is anything ever as clear cut as we or Hollywood would like to make it seem. So I really appreciated the complexities of that character. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually had forgot there for a moment about his childhood. I did think that his, you know, in the movie, his face, how um, distorted it was. And then when you Mm -hmm. learn about how that came to be, um, I was intrigued you know, with, with his, with his story and, and what had happened to him. And, um, and I, I, I think I just live my life this way now is that everyone has a story, you know, and I always wanted mm-hmm. to a story because I always, I feel like it always explains them, right. It explains the why yeah. and how, and, and not always. Right. But many times it does. It gives you a lot of insight to the why now, and then you typically can move from a place of, anger, frustration, or hatred too. Okay, I can have empathy for this person because of what they went through. Yeah. And it was interesting that we, as the audience, were going on that journey as well. Like, we didn't get the sympathetic character at the beginning of the movie when we hear about him, but we slowly, that, that guard that's up that we have against this character is chipped away at a little bit. And I think it's, Interesting, too, that we go in that journey through the perspective of Brian and seeing his willingness to sit with Myers and listen to him and give him space to share a story I thought was really interesting. It's, again, one of those decisions or moments that the, the movie is willing to give to this character that I thought somebody had an intentional decision to include that versus to spend less time on that. And mm-hmm. I think it really shapes the way that we understand the movie and the message of the movie. Um, it also made me wonder who that was the moment where I went to Google in the middle of this movie and was like, who directed this movie and what's mm-hmm. his background? Because mm-hmm. is this directed by a black director or a white director or somebody else? And I was surprised that it was um, directed and I think written by Destin Daniel Creighton. I don't know a lot of his work. Um, but he is an Asian director, and that was interesting to me. I think it's it's fascinating to see the backgrounds of the people that create 
the mm-hmm. art that we're consuming. Um, and I'm curious yeah. if this was created by um, somebody else or what the, where those decisions might have been different on where to lean in into versus give them less time on. Yeah, I actually saw the, um, so part of the trailer I watched leading up to an interview was with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And so Michael B. Jordan's position in, you know, reenacting Brian Stevenson, even down to him reading Brian's material and him being very intentional of um, acting out Brian to a T, his mannerisms, he would, he would study him. Um, his mannerisms, how he spoke, how he interacted, and um, and you know Jamie Fox and even I think Brian were just amazed on how serious you know Michael took this film mm. and wanted to make sure it was as um, you know as close to you know as authentic as it could be, as real as it as real as, as real as it was mm. or as it is. And so that's really what intrigued me more to even watch the film was the intentionality behind being as authentic to the actual people who walked through this journey. So, mm. and like I said, I have the book and I, I need to read back. So I don't know if Ralph Myers was in my book or not. I've actually since then loaned it to a coworker um, who wanted to read it. But I know as far as Michael B. Johnson truly walking in the footsteps of Brian Stevenson, he was very intentional of walking in his, in, in his, in his actual footsteps throughout this ex- this entire film. And that to me spoke volumes to me. I love that, that dedication to, mm-hmm. to, to it being raw and authentic. It reminds me of Spike Lee in an interview talked about his new film, The Five Bloods. And he was like, I set up several screenings with black vets that were from NOM. And I said, if they're not excited about it, like we are not releasing this film. Like if they don't, resonate and if this is not representative of their experiences like we're not releasing it we're going back to fix it um so i love that that dedication in the in the art making Mm. process Mm -hmm. and i think that is probably one of the biggest things that we we feel while watching this that Mm. sets it apart from from other films. So like I I went into Just Mercy just praying that this was nothing like Green Book. Oh god. And it's nothing like Green Book. Yes. Um <laughs> but I think that's that's probably one of those areas where it it is so different, you know, because Just Mercy was intentional and respectful of these real life stories that happened whereas Green Book was really, you know, cavalier with these stories and really didn't steward it well. And I feel like you can, you can sense that from the film. There's this, you know, feeling of, of inauthenticity. If it's not, um, if you don't have that buy-in from the people who, who lived through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can really feel that in just mercy. Like it, it feels like a real story and, and you can tell that these are, are real people who, who walked through this, this unjust thing that happened to them. Right. Michael B. Jordan was one of the producers. I'm not sure if you know or not, mm-hmm. but he produced mm-hmm. the film and that's why he took that to that level of being very authentic and wanting, I mean, I think I saw in one of the interviews with Jamie and him that there were times where Michael you know, 
broke down any emotion walking through certain scenes because he he took it to that level of really living it out while he produced the film produced and acted the film yeah speaks volumes to who you have in the creation process affecting so much how the final product turns out because you're right there's I, and you can't really put your finger on it and say exactly what it is, but there's this, this feeling that the actors and the people in this film care about this and they're, they're gingerly taking care of this story and the emotions are raw. And I, f- I feel like that's that can be easily lost in a film like Green Book that just feels like it's being churned out of a Hollywood machine or even some of the other ones that are not as um, blatantly bad as Green Book, but things like Hidden Figures that just have that Hollywood gloss on it where um, that rawness of emotion, I think, isn't as there as much as it is in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, inter- you know, timing-wise, right? Like the timing of this movie coming out in 2020, you make that point of, you know, some of the movies that have a Hollywood gloss. And unfortunately... I think many of us are in the category of we we are not willing to watch these type of films if they don't have the Hollywood gloss on them, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the interesting timing behind even myself of saying, I had this book, I mean, I have the true story written by Brian himself telling me these accounts, and I put the book down mm-hmm. for good because I couldn't handle it. I couldn't well, I couldn't walk through that. But here it is in 2020 where many people are saying, I'm, I'm willing to watch this film, right? And I don't know, maybe it's because Jimmy Fox mm. and Jordan are in the film and we like them right? <laughs> or we love Jimmy Fox, right? And so had they not been, been these big name, you know, Hollywood names, would we have watched the film? I don't know. Um, but I also think it's interesting just from a time, timing standpoint, that more people of both, of many races, right, are willing to, engage and watch such a film where it's not as Hollywood glossed over it it's not at all and like you said scenes that are very intense specifically with um Herbert Richardson you know and how his life comes to an end um was very was is you know devastating um and you don't see those type of um um, you don't see that often in films right to go to that um to that degree much that are not watching black community. I think, you know, movies from my childhood and um, Mississippi Burning and, and several movies that have been played, but typically those movies will just stay within the black community that will watch them, mm. uh, but not outside of that community. And and that's been, I think, one of the other great aspects of this is that this movie was has been welcomed and opened by many races to engage and really go there and, and, and really understand and, and see the injustice through through a film. And I was, this movie, oh, sorry, Jen. No, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> this <laughs> this movie, like, I, I feel like it started with with Herb's death, which was holy crap! Yeah. Like that was, yeah. oh, Gosh. it was it was so powerful and it was so sorrowful and somber and like you felt the gravity of what was going on so it's like this this deeply weighty moment in the film um as it rightfully should be 
but then that level of emotion doesn't stop until the end of the film. And to me, like I, I had to keep myself from reaching over to my phone because like, I personally am not comfortable with that level of emotion. And the, the fact that this, like it took you to that place and then it just kind of kept you there because we, we do need to recognize how weighty these issues are. Um, I, I wasn't ready for that. And so while I was watching at home on my couch in the middle of the day, I was just wondering like, what would this experience have been like mm-hmm. had I saw it in the theaters where it's mm-hmm. a dark room and I can't mm-hmm. distract myself with my phone mm-hmm. and I have to pay attention to that story. Like mm-hmm. how much more powerful would that have been? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, it was pretty deep because then you were not only crying, <laughs> Sarah, but then you were in the movie theater is crying with you, right? And you can just feel the despair, you know, come over the entire theater, you know, like the hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there's even a, a, another word. I mean, because I don't, you know, even anger in that moment, like you just, you, 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 you couldn't make it to anger yet. It was just such yeah. a... such a lack of hope um, in that moment, for sure. I was impressed and shocked that the film lingers in that moment and the events slowly that lead up to that moment for so long. Like, most other films and my expectation was that they would would kind of – throw us in there a little bit and then cut away and and kind Mm -hmm. of hint at it because most Mm -hmm. films won't go there and because Mm -hmm. they know that it's heavy and it's it's Mm -hmm. it's big and it's weighty and they don't they don't just it's kind of like they gingerly just want to like back away from it and you can't go wrong by backing away from it but Mm -hmm. the dedication that the film has for you to just sit with every like every moment every minute felt so long as you Mm-hmm. waited for him to mm-hmm. oh my gosh it mm-hmm. it just the film just kind of like puts you in this little cart like brings mm-hmm. you right up close to it and like you want to leave and you want to run and it the film's like we're gonna just stay here and you're yeah. gonna stay here with me um yeah. but I think it does propel the rest of the film in in swift ways because you you feel the weight of Herb's death looming over the rest of the film and over Johnny D and the other um, inmates that are on death row. Like you, right. you, you have seen what is possible for these men. And I, I mean, I just can't, that is a tiny, I think microcosm what I, of what I can imagine the black community feels every single time there's an injustice like that, that mm-hmm. feels like it has completely robbed an innocent person of mm-hmm. their right to live like over and over and over and over again. Like I, I think that this moment in the film is just a tiny, tiny drop in the sea compared to how much has been endured. Yeah. And then and my thought goes to like, there's this rawness of emotion that a film can uh, create in people. And i just want to like harness that and like, translate that to action right after the film like how do we get people to be able to donate to the EJI or other organizations that are fighting for this because 
there mm-hmm. is that sense after the film where you're like, how do we, I feel all of these things and I can see this injustice and this reality now. Like, what can I do about it? And like, if there's a, a way we could harness the power of a film like this for systems that are fighting like tooth and nail day in and day out in the trenches, like EJI and so many other organizations are like that. That's that powerful link that I think could, could happen one day. I love that we saw the EJI grow, right? Mm-hmm. Like even mm-hmm. beginning of the film, you have, you know, Brian Stevenson, Eva, and it's just the two of them. Right. And they they go through so much defeat and, it's just the two of them that are dedicated. And, um, you know, there's times where Brian wants to give up, but then you see as the film progresses, let's say you just, they don't even say it, you know, there's not a, okay. And we hired five more people. You just start to see more and more and more people in the room and more people answering the phone and more people handling file cabinets. And so I love that we did get to see that imagery in the background that the EJI was effective and people were catching on and people did believe in its cause and um, of both white and black, right? That people were contributing and becoming a part of it and, and doing something about it. So that was incredible to see as well. Yeah. And even the, the numbers on the screen afterwards, like had carried, I think so much more meaning than if we had saw them just kind of like in a vacuum on an article somewhere, the, I think 140 people that they've been mm-hmm. able to achieve justice for, and you can feel mm-hmm. the the depth of the stories behind those after the film has ended, having gone through this journey with these um, people. Then I think if it was just like a, a statistic listed on their website somewhere that you just stumble upon, like it's, it doesn't carry that same context and emotion the way that it does when it h- hits you at the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I felt bad at that moment that I put the book down. (laughs) (laughs) I need to go pick that book back up. And um, what's been really neat, um, Jen and Sarah, is that several, and you may know this, but several corporations in the last three weeks, based on what's happened here in our country, um, since George Floyd, is that several, um, you know, Fortune 700 plus companies have given, um, a lot of money towards the EJI. Uh, and my company donated a million dollars two weeks ago. And wow. I could not have been happier that after, you know, seeing the movie, watching the trailers, knowing that's a true story, reading half the book, knowing that this little organization that started with just these two in the, you know, in the, in the neck of, you know, the segregated South and what they fought for and what they've gone through to know that, they're getting recognition from major companies around uh, the globe and having very large donations made to them is, was just so um, brought so much joy to my heart. Mm. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Like I, I know like after the movie, I just felt like so depressed, like, Oh my gosh, what we, what can we do about this? So <laughs> it's, it's really cool to see that, you know, people and people of, of influence and power and people mm-hmm. that have wealth are, are, are investing their resources, not just in a way that is a good like publicity stunt, but mm-hmm. in a way that will actually help people and will lead to lasting change. Yes. Um, one of the, one of the quotes that I wrote down 
during the movie was um, it was when they were setting up for Herb's execution and one of the officers was a, a veteran officer, clearly, and then the other one was a newbie. Mm-hmm. And um, the older one said, don't think about it too much. You'll lose your shit. And yes. in that moment, I wrote down, like, we should probably lose our shit over the murder of innocent people. And yeah. it's just, it's cool to see mm-hmm. people of all races, you know, being aware of these things and moving to effective action as opposed Mm -hmm. to just you know wallowing in it or turning a blind eye or Mm -hmm. you know something that Jen and I have talked about is this term performative activism Mm -hmm. like no let's actually do something that will make a change and that's Mm -hmm. that's encouraging to know good is being done absolutely yeah, so I ended up hosting a movie review, uh, um, like a movie, I don't know what you call it, but I, um, and Sarah, maybe that's what I invited you to when I sent you this, is that I rented out AMC Theater that only had mm-hmm. like, uh, a certain amount of seats, and then family and friends bought tickets and came, and we called it a movie review, and it was Just Mercy, and um, connected it with my book and just, um, we all came to watch the film together. Now I'd already seen the film. So, you know, so I'm already kind of past my emotions, not, 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 you know, not that I'm over what's happening in our society. Right. But I'm past the emotions of seeing the scenes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've had time to think about it and dwell and et cetera. So I'm removed now, maybe a couple of weeks and, um, we, you know, I've, I'm waiting for the film to be done and then I have an opportunity to speak to the crowd at the end. And let's just say what I had planned on saying, I scrapped it because when I walked in that room and you could just, I'm telling you, you could feel the weight. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, there wasn't a dry eye and it wasn't, you know, Sarah, you said that you walked away like depressed. And um, I guess I had forgotten maybe that that was maybe what many would feel like at the end of this film, depending on your background, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on if, you have seen ton, you know, films like this, and you're very aware. And at this point, you you know this is real, and we got to do something about it. Or if you're like, oh my god, I never, I didn't know this was still happening, and I'm really shocked, and I don't know what I can do about this, right? So there's these different levels of emotions, or I'm really angry, and I I know this happens, and see, there's no hope, and so there's these varying degrees of emotions. But what I felt led to remind everyone is you know, what, what are some next steps that we can do? And so I love Eva's character that at the end of the day, Eva was this ally. She was an ally. And that's what we have to be is that we may not be able to go in and change the entire you know, judicial system ourselves, but who can you be an ally to? And it does start with sharing your story and hearing stories and, and building bridges and building relationships and, um, ha- seeing people, right, and, and being an ally and speaking out on behalf of those you're standing up for and really having hope. I actually, I don't remember what I felt like at the end of the first film. I think I just had so many emotions going on because I knew I was going to do the movie review. I knew, I knew I had heard the story somewhere and just all the emotions involved. But when I had an opportunity to talk to, to those who came to see the film, I actually was very hopeful and I was hopeful because I felt like there were more people today standing and willing to engage than there had been for since Brian Stevenson opened the EJI, right? Let's say for the last 30 years, there is this 
opening of eyes and opening of ears and tapping on of shoulders that people are feeling this call. Wait a minute, I feel like I need to do something. I feel like I need to say something. I just don't know what it is yet. And that's where I really took the audience was that we can be encouraged because there are people being tapped on the shoulder and an awakening that's happening in essence in this space that brings hope, really. And it's not for just the black community. It's for everyone. It's for all of us, right? It's for the white community as well and Hispanic and Asian. I mean, all of us. It's, it's a hope for all of us. Um, I really see that when, you know, when June, the celebration of Juneteenth being that when slaves in Texas um, officially were, you know, aware that slavery had ended, and that's their celebration of, in essence, true freedom. You know, I I would say, even being a person of color, though I'm biracial, I'm half, I'm white, half white, and half black. I would say that wasn't just freedom for black people; it was freedom for all people. It was freedom for people because there's, if if a black person is in bondage, the person who's holding them in bondage, and even if it's a white person or whoever it is, they're in bondage as well. And so being set free when slavery ended, it wasn't just freedom for black slaves, it was freedom for America. And so um, there's, there's, there's this hope that we all see, or many of us are starting to see and be willing to see and be willing to be an ally and be willing to speak up, um, I, I, find, I find hope in. I love that. I, I think that's a, a powerful thing that the film was surprisingly is also communicating is that there there is hope to fight the injustices, maybe small and mm-hmm. baby steps and one person at a time, but mm-hmm. that this one story can be replicated and um, that there can be people that that are equipped with these legal skills and can support and even people like Brie Larson who don't have the legal degree that are still able to be pivotal to EGI being able to run and operate smoothly. I think she's now the operations manager for EGI, right? And so there's like these Mm -hmm. tiny contributions that change the life of a few people, but yeah, because I think it is daunting to think about the, the, the hugeness of the problem, the the size of the system, the history and time that has accumulated to lead us here. And it just feels like this large, looming, oppressive force. But right. slowly we can chip away at it. Um, yeah. We just all have our part. You know, mm-hmm. what we do, we just have to do that part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Any other last thoughts on Just Mercy before we wrap? This was an amazing discussion and conversation, and it's been really illuminating to hear your perspectives, LT, about the film and um, how it's a, it's influenced your life and what you're now even doing with like having hosting these screenings and getting people to talk about it is amazing. Thank you. I'm so, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I would just say that. Um, you know, parts of that film of, you know, one of the things that encouraged even JD and I get a little emotional about it, at, you know, it was when, you know, we felt like it, all, all was lost. I mean, it was, 
I mean, by now he had received so many no's, so many rejections. I think the judge came back and and said no, right? And I, mean, I think we were all willing to give up. I think we all were ready just to like slit our wrists and like be done with life ourselves at that point, right? Like, just no hope. And, um, you know, Brian went to go see him and I can't remember all what was, was said, but JD said, I, I got my truth back. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, I got my truth back and, and no one can take that from me. And I think that's just so important for us to know the truth, right? Like we have to have our, we have to know the truth and get our truth back to really encourage us and give us hope. But um, what I love in the film, just some of the things we've talked about is seeing people, understanding your story. And so what I've really been focusing on since this film is having small groups in, in a living room setting. I call them living room conversations or couch conversations or table conversations, whatever you want to call them, of intentionally bringing together people of different backgrounds and cultures and experiences to share just that so that it is this understanding and brings a level of seeing someone, right? And not them as a statistic, whether they're divorced or whether they're a single mom or whether they um, wh- whatever it is, but it, or maybe, or they're black or they're white or they're biracial. The, the reality is we all have our stories. We all have our obstacles we've had to overcome. We all have our areas of pain and shame and rejection and abandonment. And that's really, you know, our story. And we can all build a bridge with someone who's overcome an obstacle and build compassion and build relationship with them. And when we do that, we are more, you know, we're, we're more willing to stand up for someone uh, because we know that person, we know that story, right? And so I may not be a, um, a single mother, right? But if someone speaks against, you know, why you should not, you know, divorce or why you, you know, you shouldn't raise your kid by yourself. And I have a friend who is a single mother and I understand her story and what she's been through. I can speak up on her behalf, right? Or, mm-hmm. and so, um, what I've seen happen in this process are people who would not be together because maybe their politics don't mix or their denominations don't mix or their social platforms don't mix. But when they come together and they put aside their opinions and they put aside their beliefs, their opinions that they've formed over their lifetime, and they just simply share their experience, then they can be of completely opposite um, political, social, gender, financial, socioeconomic sex, all these different, you know, theological backgrounds, but they can come together and love each other and build relationship and stand up for one another when they come together and build that empathy because they've heard each other's stories and it brings down walls. And I've, I've witnessed this firsthand of, I have two good friends now where one was from She's black, segregated South. One is white and her background, they were just polar opposites in what they believed, what they experienced about each other. They would not be friends today. Let's just say that if they had stayed in those environments and they've come together through this experience and the material that we've walked through of understanding each other's experience and they have become best friends and they are, they are now being their people groups be set free from the discrimination and prejudices and biases that we hold against other people groups. And it's been a cool thing to watch. That's amazing. And I think that healing happens in small, in small forms. And then as each of those small moments are happening across our country and across our world, 
we then just become become more interconnected, become more empathetic, kind of slowly. Um, yeah. How do, the how small, do you the small every days. Yeah. Time. That's right, Sarah. We've coined the we we've coined the term. Uh, we've coined it. Uh, what we are doing is one relationship at a time. Mm. Because anything more than that, you like you said, it's so overwhelming. And to try to say, okay, we got to take down the you know, the system and, and the government and, and, the, uh, and the systematic racism and education and all these areas, um, you know, what are you gifted with? What are you talented with? It's one relationship, one decision at a time. I love that. Sarah, any last thoughts? My last thought is to, to kind of put LT on the spot, if I may, and just <laughs> ask if, if somebody would like to learn more about these these living room conversations or or what you are are doing to create these these spaces and and you know uh, press for unity one relationship at a time and and all of the work that you're doing is there anywhere that they can go or um, any way for anybody to contact you if they would like to learn more about what you're doing absolutely yeah so um they can reach out to me on my website or on Instagram. And I'm going to spell my name because my full name is not LT. Mm-hmm. Um, actually short for Leticia and it's spelled a way that no other Leticia is spelled. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so Instagram is Leticia. That's L-E-T-E-S-H-A Wheeler, W-H-E-E-L-E-R. So at Leticia Wheeler. And my website is the same, LeticiaWheeler.com. And you can reach out to me either of those ways. And I'd be happy to lead you and partner with you or help you or support you in having these conversations in your sphere of influence or in your community or in your backyard or neighborhood. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, and just for, for sharing your, your heart, your wisdom, your perspective. Um, it's, it's always good to have conversations with you. And I know that I always leave, um, with, with some new wisdom to chew on or, or a new perspective to consider. So thanks for taking the time and, and spending it with us. Well, thank you. The honor is all mine. Really. It really is. So thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been such a blessing just to sit with you and have our own little virtual living room conversation together here. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly what this was. <laughs> awesome. So we will leave um, how you can connect with Letitia in the show notes. Um, in the meantime, we will be back next week. We we highly recommend um, spending time and sitting with Just Mercy. Um, it's important. It's important to our freedom as a country, but also to understand and engage with communities that perhaps you haven't spent time with and engaged with, and the injustices that they have endured for decades and centuries. Um, just Mercy, I believe, is available for streaming on Netflix, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Amazon Prime. They all <laughs> blend together in my head at this point. Um, but we will be back next week. And again, thank you so much, Leticia, for joining us today. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Sarah. Awesome. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.